the Superman God that I used to worship as a young person always would mostly fail to show up in my life. But the, the non-present, hidden, crushed, invisible, suffering Messiah seemed to always be there with me. It was almost like it was his invisibility that I could see mostly, which proved his presence the most. Hey everyone, it's Paul here. I'm just so excited to be joined again by my dear friend, Andy Squires. Andy is a singer, songwriter, and pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's probably best known for his song, Cherry Blossoms, and for his ability to make grown men cry with his music. I sat down with Andy, boy, probably a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago, as one of my first guests on this podcast. And in that talk together, we covered more of Andy's background and bio. So if you're interested, you could always go back in the archives if you wanted to get to know a little bit more of his story. We sort of just dived right into conversation together in today's podcast. If you loved Andy's Cherry Blossoms record, uh, you're going to love the new record he's got coming out. I've heard so much of it. He's got two singles out already. Check those out on Spotify. If you wanted to and support him directly, you could go over and actually support him on Bandcamp and maybe just pay for those songs directly, especially considering his spring tour got canceled because of COVID. So go over to his website, andysquires.com. I'll make sure I've got that link in the description of this podcast and find out ways that you can support the work that he is doing. And if for some reason you haven't listened to Andy's music before, I can't implore you enough. There is no one I can think of that is writing songs about the things that really matter in life the same way Andy is. So make sure you go check out his music. All right, well, I hope you enjoy today's conversation with my good friend, Andy Squires. Bro, have you, are, have you, got, have you read much Father John Bear? But I just spent two days listening to his, he did a lecture series and, and somebody just put it on a podcast and it's, it's freaking me out. It's so good. It's, I, I, I feel, I feel like I'm on fire right now from, you know, when you discover like a new thought coming from, from different, like you've got your, you've got your set of voices that you're, are your go-to guys and bears about to become like one of those guys to, for me, I can feel it. But, but like, I mean, he spends three, three hours talking about this, so I'm not going to do it justice, but he's, he, he's basically in the first part of this lecture series said, <laughs> saying, you know, Physically witnessing the risen Lord did absolutely nobody any good. The only way people began to understand and see the risen Lord was was through the lens of the text. Like he's he's talking about scripture as presence. Mm. God, it's just so good. <laughs> Yeah, like the two guys on the on the road to Emmaus, right? I mean, it was like they didn't even yeah. see him walking; they couldn't recognize him. And then he sits down and breaks yeah. the bread and starts going through the scriptures, and they're like, "Whoa, eyes yep. opened!" 
And same with Philip and the eunuch. And, and he's like almost every person who witnessed, who walked with Jesus during his life, none of, none of who God was was unveiled for them because just because he was physically present with them. And then even after the resurrection, his physical presence failed to, to open their eyes. But it was only through scripture that people's hearts began to burn. And mm. I was, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's got long convoluted ways of ex- expressing all that, but geez, worthwhile investment for you. You'll love it. Totally. Yeah. I heard it do a, do a talk on origin. He's sort of like the, the yep. has a new translation and of origins works. And so, yeah, I need to, it's on the, on the list of things to pick up. Well, you know, Hey, I was looking back and actually, um, actually I think you were, you were the first guest I ever had on this podcast. So Wait. I'm, I'm recycling, <laughs> I'm getting, to, getting to that point. But, um, <laughs> But I think, you know, I think back to like, you know, when I first started this deal and then the idea dawned on me like, well, maybe I should bring some other people in the conversation that might be helpful. And I started thinking of the people that I go, well, who's weird enough (laughs) to want to, to want to talk to me about the sorts of things that I think, I do think there's other people that, that want to talk about and they're not, they're not looking for uh, someone to do this sort of, I'm on this team and let's, let's lob some grenades from our bunker, uh, you know, t- towards the other team. And it's really hard, man, because that stuff really sells. It really yeah. does. It's, um, it's a lot easier. You're going to get a lot more clicks, a lot more listens in the, the world of content creation. And I hate that, I hate that expression, but you're going to do that. And you, you bunker down and you pick your team and you lob your grenades and you get all the people that, that want to hear it in the choir. But I've just had no desire to do that. And I just so appreciate you're not, you're somebody that's not like that either. And yeah. um, there's these, there's these, there's this people, guys, gals, you know, and some of them, I know you're older than me. A lot of them are in our sort of age range and uh, they're, they're not doing the deconstruction thing, especially not the sort of chaotic, let's just burn it all down. Right. They're also not in this, you know, I'm just doubling down on my fundamentalism either. That's right. I'm, I'm not hiding from the questions. That's I'm, right. I'm going to be honest about this stuff. And so when I, when I think about a problem that I have, mm. you're one of the first people I go to and go, mm. man, I wonder what Andy thinks mm. about this. So for people that are listening here, you know, we Andy and I did have a conversation. I don't know, maybe it was almost two years ago. We've recorded and we did a lot of Andy's background and bio in that conversation. I'm not going to rehash that stuff because you could always go back and, and listen to it. I'm more interested and I invited Andy on today to just talk with him about really the process. He's got a couple new songs new singles that he's released, new record coming out. I've heard these tunes. And man, there's just, honestly, there's few music, there's few artists in the faith space that actually move me that much. And Andy is one of those few artists that do that. And I wanted to talk and pick his brain about some things today. And um, you know, maybe for some of you, the language that I'm using, I should probably give a little, like, just just brief, 
Andy's familiar with this sort of um, this language, and we've talked about it. We've had text exchanges about this, but I should probably just do a quick like refresher course for people that haven't listened before to some of the language that we're using. So there's this there's this theologian. He's really known for like his liberation theology, a black theologian named Dwight Hopkins. And um, years ago, he I was reading some work of his and was really blown away by this this framework for understanding culture. Um, these three domains, and I've I've run with it, and it's been so helpful to me. And he talks about these domains of culture. So culture is really like the, a word that can describe the total way of life for a people or group. And in these domains of culture, and you could kind of think of it, I don't know if he th- intended to put it this way, but this is really the way I framed it. You can kind of think of there being this sort of hierarchy in culture. And these three domains, you have spirit, and spirit is this um, term that might describe the the invisible, transcendent ideas that people have, right? An idea is really, it's like this invisible thing. And this is actually, I think it's a helpful way of maybe helping people understand the way ancient people thought, right? Like we're so saturated with materialism that we just, we're, we're, we're really like gun shy of anything that sounds invisible because <laughs> it sounds make-believe. But when you think about things like our values and our mm-hmm. ideas and th- they're invisible, it really is a domain that whether people just want to think it exists in our head or someplace else, we don't see it until it takes some sort of physical manifestation in the world. And the way that happens is in aesthetic, which is like the arts of a culture, the creative expression of those transcendent ideas. It can be made manifest in a song, a painting, an architecture, even in like fashioning tools, right? Like everything that we make, um, everything that we create is a reflection of our values. And so that domain we could call aesthetic. And the other term that we'll use maybe a little bit later, we'll talk more about it at the end of the I think of our discussion today is labor and labor is the domain of human work where we adapt a repurpose nature, the world that God's given us. We repurpose creation for individual or community benefit. And that also encompasses like the way we exchange the fruits of our labor together, the work that we do, making sure that we don't labor in vain. Right, Andy? <laughs> right. And so uh, I just I want to I wanted to set that up because I wanted to talk to Andy today, pick his brain, and kind of use that framework. And you know, you guys could go back to the Christ and Culture series if you want to do a deeper dive into some of that language and terminology. So, Andy, thanks for thanks. First of all, I'm doing a lot of talking here to start, but thanks for thanks for carving out some time for some conversation tonight. Oh, uh, I love being here. This is the best. I love this. How are you guys? First of all, how are you guys holding up? And you know, as a family and the fa- the family as well we in some ways we've never been busier just uh with with my church work you know i'm i'm on the pastoral staff of a church so we we're not physically gathering but there are phone calls to make and texts to answer and all oh, yeah. kinds of, um you know still trying to pastor people from a distance so we we're busy doing that and then uh my wife and I have a little bit of land and we've just been doing projects on our property just to, well, we're just doing stuff. So we're, 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 we're busy and enjoying life as best as we can. We, we, we do feel the, the pain of isolation for sure. I mean, I think the kids especially are, yeah, 
wanting to see their friends pitch pretty badly now. And, you know, so we're, we're all feeling how good community is, you know, like, <laughs> uh, for all the complaints of church life that I, I could, I've probably made over the years. Um, I am definitely, uh, recognizing how earnestly I desire to be with the people of God. So yeah, definitely, I feel that same, feel mm. that same way here. And we're working hard to do things to kind of like simulate that the best that we can. But man, you just, we've been hardwired. We've been hardwired for like physical, proximal, yeah, interaction with people, yeah. and no matter how much you simulate it, this technology has only been around for a few years, and it's like yeah. we we haven't evolved <laughs> the capabilities yeah. of of making that thing be a, a re, you know a substitution that like deeply satisfies. It, it doesn't compete with the uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years that humans have been meeting in round, whether it's in a mud hut somewhere or in a church somewhere or in a living room somewhere, they've been gathered together with people picking up on these nonverbal cues and all the different ways a, a hand on your shoulder might just mean something so significant to you. And so it, it's, there's no replacing that. And um, it's, I, it's hard. I think as, you know, as charismatic Christians, like that's my, that's my, tradition is we we use the language of presence a lot we talk yeah. about the presence of god uh being in our midst and i what i'm realizing is that uh we need that presence of our our friends and family our brothers and sisters in christ dare i say as much as we need the lord's presence in our midst i mean they're not you know, two or more are gathered. There I am, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's, you can't really separate. They're not in opposition to each other. No. You know? <laughs> so, well, along with being a pastor, you're honest. I mean, you're, you're one of my favorite songwriters mm. that I've I've heard in quite some time. And I think one of the things that you do so well, Andy, is you're you're able you're able to really capture your values well. Like your values really come through and it just so happens maybe I have similar values and so that's why this stuff resonates when when that when when what's coming from your spirit, right? That the, the world that Andy inhabits, Andy Squires inhabits where his thoughts are caught up in this invisible space of values, pictures of God that you've digested and they you know, these, these, these things that we can't see. And then you go with pen and paper and a guitar and you sit down and you try to channel. I yeah. mean, this is language that a lot of charismatics really don't have any problem with. You right. know, some others might, might feel like it's, it's a little like new agey, but it's, it, it really isn't. And hopefully people are even getting like the layers of, of meaning in this, this, this sort of um, symbolic layers of meaning when we're talking about channeling a spirit or not, you know, there's something the ancients had going on when they were trying to tap into that stuff. But in a modern context, it's really no, it, it's no different. We might just, we just have a different language for it, you know? So when somebody's a really good storyteller, where did that story come from? You know, where did Tolkien <laughs> Like ever dream up such a world. And I think about that when I hear your music because 
it, it takes me somewhere and simultaneously it makes me more aware of what's right in front of me. And yeah. both of those things I need to have happen. So I'd love, like, can you tell me a little bit, Andy, like as a songwriter, how do you make this domain of spirit, which includes your values, your notions of God, even, you know, that domain also includes like the guiding story of our life, right? We have this narrative yeah, we're 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 creatures that are storied creatures, and we think of things in stories. That's one of the things that makes humans unique. And mm. we've got this guiding story. And how do you take that guiding story, your ideas about God and your values, and and how do you try to make that manifest into a song? Man, I think that I get it to the song by first doing the work in myself. So. So as a person, I have, I have a heart, I have a body, I have a mind. And so there's a good bit of embodiment happening. So, you know, the, 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 reader, the writers that we love or the musicians that we love, you know, sometimes they're telling us things that we don't know. But my, my observation is that mostly the writers that we're gravitating towards are they're they're articulating things they're they're articulating our secret hopes it's mm. almost it's almost like we've got things on the inside of us that are so good dare we hope that they're true yeah. and the teacher comes along and has 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 put words in such an order that they seem obvious, but the world has never seen them before. You know, it's like that that's when you know you've really mm. witnessed a master, you know, because what they're bringing to you, you go, it's is it's almost like, well, of course that's right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But but it's it's the it's like the veil's been peeled back for a moment. Veil, Yes, it's it's and, and and we were talking about Father John Bear earlier, but he he talks about all communication being couched in veiling and unveiling. Yeah, and I loved that when I heard it because I actually see, one of the things I've been thinking about recently is those moments in my life where I had such a moment of revelation that the universe came into alignment and everything became clear. And I, I thought, wow, I have come to the end of knowledge. This revelation is so good. There's probably nothing else to know. But then eventually, my mind and heart and soul became clouded again. Mm. And the uniqueness of that revelation was not enough to sustain me. And so I, I used to get frustrated by that dynamic, but now I've realized it's a very divine thing and that God's joy is, his joy is witnessing, witnessing us being on that, that journey of discovery. And so like we're continually finding out new things about God, which sounds so strange to some of our Christian ears, like, you, you know, everything's been revealed already. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. There, there can be people, you know, people can be suspicious of that because they might be, yeah. they might be going, you know, especially in 
Protestant evangelical circles where we put a, a priority on the text, mm. on the scriptures, yeah. and I'm not arguing in any way against having that be the thing that we return to, yes. you know, that's, we're trying to get, what we're trying to get is as close to the location of revelation as we possibly can. Yeah. And when we affirm these things and how we get there, how we get to these affirmations, that's a conversation for another time, but we affirm these things like God, God's character and nature is so that he actually wants to in, show us things about himself. And we affirm that God's story has been told through his people, through Amen. the people that he's revealed himself to. And he's, he's bear witness to it by his spirit and in the context of the community of God. And so we go to those stories that the community of God and the spirit of God bear witness to. And like, we affirm that, but that's not to say that whether it's reading the scriptures in of themselves, like you're saying, there's this, you know, I've heard John Bear talk about this. It's, it's apocalyptic, right? The apocalypse is the unveiling, yeah. you know? And so it's the, the words, you, you know, I've returned to passages and you've done this too over the course of your life as just as a person, much less a, a pastor. Mm. Where you go, man, I'm seeing something here I've never I've never seen before. And that's just like in the text. Yes. And what it is is like the acknowledgement. If we acknowledge the we acknowledge these things about God that He's He's ultimately transcendent and holy, right? And this picture, I always return to this picture in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right? With the, the angels flapping around <laughs> the throne day and night going, holy, holy, holy. And the picture is like them doing that forever and never for however long they've been in existence, presumably, you know, longer than my lifespan. And, mm. and every time they do that, they take a flap, they see something fresh, and they go, whoa, we've never seen that before. Right? Yeah, and I would say that as, as much as I, I've been formed by God's story, like I, I can attribute so much of who I am as a person by the transformative effect of the canon of Scripture, but I would never say that God's story has ended with the closing of the canon. Right. So his, his, his ongoing story includes me in this point and in this moment of time. Right. And so, so the need for, um, for understanding and relational communion with the Lord and with the people of God is, is, is still, it's still a need. I, I still need understanding. I still need uh, a hope that that's not theoretical, but that's embodied. And, and so, um, I, I can't remember what the original question was. <laughs> the but... question was how you, how you how you sort of capture that unveiling, right? How we take that, those ideas yeah. and values and how we take the domain of spirit, right? And then we, right. we take those invisible things and we somehow, bear witness to them. We try to unveil them in aesthetic, in creativity, in art. And how do you specifically do that as a songwriter? How do you yeah. try to capture that? Because it's not just in the propositions of the lyrics either, right? Right. right. How, do you, how do you, like, what does the work look like in your life to try to like really reach for those things and to try to bring them to bear in the world in a song? Well, first of all, I would say that 
that I'm, I'm honestly actively engaged in a certain amount of resistance. So I find myself in a, in a Christian subculture where, where there are, there are big power players and, and please hear me, hear me right. I am not distinguishing good versus evil here. All I'm saying is there are, there are large voices within Christian subculture that are saying certain things and they're saying those things in a certain way and they are heard the most, okay? I'm not saying that's good or yeah, bad. Yeah. I'm saying the volume, the loudness of that subculture is very loud. So a guy like me comes along and I feel something different about God. Maybe, maybe it's not a feeling that's different, but the way I want to talk about God is different than the way the subculture is saying we are allowed to talk about him. So first of all, I'm making certain (laughs) philosophical and aesthetic decisions up front in myself, I realize there's something that I'm called to and come hell or high water, no matter what the other voices are saying that I should sound like, I'm making the decision to say what I want to say. That's an artistic decision, right? So so what that means for me is that I don't sit down and write words that will match all the other things that are being said or how those things are being said within our subculture. And, and there, are, there are consequences of doing that. So one consequence is not be allowed for your art to be at the big table you, but you might be at the little table, even the invisible table, mm. but you you have this internal trust, this internal hope that that well, a seed is very small. Some seeds can't even be seen. They're easy to miss. They're hard to see, but you just are convinced. You're persuaded that that seed that God gave you that idea, that sound, that set of words that he put in your heart, you wrote them down fearlessly and and you put it out into the marketplace and you say to yourself, well, I may not make a dime on this, but there's something better than money. Mm. There's more essential than the world of commerce there's, there are greater reasons for me doing what I'm doing than just the ex- simple transaction of a commodity in exchange for money. Right. And, and believe me, I want to make a living. I want my songs to sell. I want to do all those things that normal people want to do. <laughs> um, but I think that what I've noticed is that when I have invested in the thing that God has given me to say, it may be a slower road, but it's always the more fruitful one. And at this point in my life, I'm, I'm in my middle age now, I think more about fruitfulness than anything else. I think mm-hmm. more 
longevity than anything else. You know, that famous Bob Dylan quoted, the world doesn't need any more songs, but but it definitely needs, I'm paraphrasing, the world needs a person with something to say. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. That seems like that in and of itself, even in the way you labor in your craft mm. is a reflection of a value that you have that if we trace that value even further. So I think about, I have it up in my uh, my office back here on a whiteboard. So I've sat down this past year and just kind of, you know, I don't know, I, I, in the next year, I'm going to kind of walk some people through it because my wife and I have kind of thought about our lives this way. And I think it's been, been helpful. I, I, I talk about um, sort of the hierarchy of our values, right? Yeah. And so we've yeah. got our behaviors and practices, which sit at the very bottom. Above that is our aims and our goals, right? Above yeah. that is our values. But our values we get, they descend from like a meta story that we believe yeah. is true. And yeah. what sits atop that is God. Right? Yes. I don't mean that it's like true. I just mean that's functionally God. In yep. our lives. So the way you go about um, saying, hey, you know what? I feel like I am going to say what I believe is true, even if that doesn't let me in at the cool table. Yeah. Is a reflection of what you actually think God is like. Yeah. You know, to actually take, you know, in a lot of ways, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Andy, but it, it makes me think of the sort of, it's the exile mindset. You yeah. know, versus the conqueror, you yeah. know, let's climb the seven mountains of culture mindset, right. which only charismatics know that that yeah. language. But it's this exile mindset, like Jeremiah, right? Seek, they're in they're in total exile in Babylon. They're they're on the shores of Babylon, and like, what is God's word to them in Jeremiah? Okay, well, like, seek the welfare of the city that you inhabit. Because in their welfare will be your wel welfare. And the people that go and do that, there are people in that generation who never go and see the promised land again. Right. They die in Babylon. Like, mm -hmm. that's a terrible plan, God, for me. <laughs> you know? Or I yeah. even thought about last year when the, the Notre Dame Cathedral burned to the ground. Just the vision <laughs> that someone had to build something like that and to know they weren't going to complete it in their lifetime. Yeah, I feel so inadequate to have a yeah. vision for that. And I think it is exposed in me when I see the lack of that value. And I look at the biblical story and I go, no, that should be a value I have, mm. right? Because it actually it says something about the way, do I, it says something about God and whether or not I really trust him to finish the story mm -hmm. and whether I really believe that the story is going to finish good. Right? Yeah, and whether yeah. I really believe that I'm just I'm called to help make that story a good ending in whatever way, like he sees fit, mm -hmm. and so I see you even grabbing that in the way that you market yourself. And that's mm. a, I don't know, maybe that's not a good word, but it's like even and Andy, even in how you share what you make with the world in your labor, mm. it's a reflection of what you believe. God is like and the guiding story. And I'm just so curious as to how you do from my perspective it's a it's a 
and I may, and we both confess it's probably a limited perspective. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, there's maybe not a lot of people right now that that see or hear one of your songs right now, and it's it's just not catching in the same way. Maybe something um, in one of the more popular veins of Christian culture just just catches yeah. people, and that's that's not to say that it's bad. The other stuff that's yeah. out there. Yeah. But I'm just so amazed at how you're able to keep digging for that and mm. to keep like putting that out there. And th- that, when I hear that song, it is apocalyptic. When mm. I hear, when, when I hear, gosh, even like the version of Cherry Blossoms that you had some, maybe some friends of yours in the Vineyard Movement do a couple different covers of Cherry Blossoms. And they're really yeah. like still, they're finding a way of taking your values that you had in that song and they're making them their own aesthetic creation. I listened to that and I'm just, I'm moved. It's like an unveiling. It's apocalyptic. Like I see something that you just said was like, oh yeah, it's always been there, Mm. but I can't see it until this piece of art helps me see Mm -hmm. that domain of spirit. So what does that even look like practically in your life when you sit down you know, yeah. if people are listening that are not just songwriters, but everybody's, yeah. you know, as as people made in the image of God were called mm-hmm. to be creators, sub-creators in the world. And so the, everybody listening, whether you're, you think you're an artist or not, you participate in aesthetic, right? Yeah. Even just yeah. the way you like, you know, you arrange the furniture in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people might think that's absurd, but it's so it's true that that's a reflection of your values. And so people that are really pursuing creating things to share with other people, yeah. what what could they learn from the discipline of your your craft and how you really yeah. try to capture your values? Can you talk us through even like what does the process of of making a song look like for you? Yeah. Well, First of all, I want to say, because I think a while ago you were talking about how, you know, you know, Andy, why do you keep coming back to this, even though it's this slow process and sometimes it could even be painful. But I I do want to say I really enjoy what I do. Like there, I like primarily my, my reason for pursuing the type of songwriting that I do it, I do it because I love it. Like, you know, I can't remember if you and I have had this conversation before, but I remember one time when Prince was asked about wh- who he listened to, he said, I don't listen to anybody. I listen to me. I like, wh-. like he's mm. the, the dude is making the music that he doesn't hear in the world. So he goes and makes it himself, you know? Yeah. And, not to put myself on the same level as Prince, but I understand that. Like the reason why I'm pursuing what I'm pursuing is because I don't hear what I want to hear in the world yet. And so that's Mm. fundamentally a motivator for me. And I think that keeps me, that keeps me from kind of like, that keeps me from that orphan syndrome, or as we Pentecostals would say, a a poverty mindset, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, I, I really do love what I do. And so, but, um, but to answer your question of how, how do, how does my hierarchy of values find its way into my songs? I, I think 
if I were to think through that, I could say that, or to talk through that, I would say that I, I'm always working to embrace humility and, and, and a, and a theology of crushing. Mm. So, so one time, um, my friend, Eric Hurchin, I, I was a bit discouraged about my artistic life. And he said to me this one time, he said, Andy, you're, you're making wine. It takes a really long time. Mm. And, and that was such a helpful picture for me because not only do you have to plant a vineyard, which takes time to grow, not only do you have to tend the vines well, but once you pick the fruit and the fruit is crushed, eventually that wine for it to be really good needs to be aged. But definitely that crushing part of it, to me, is, is, is kind of a, a good meta-narrative about all of my music. I, yeah. I generally found a way to em- embody a crushing dynamic and to somehow... Um, without being too heavy handed, put that in my songs. And, uh, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to say that in, in, in a practical way, but I'll say that I have, I've decided to tell the truth as best as I can. But if, I'm going to start telling the truth. I have to begin with myself. So a lot of people talk about truth telling and, and they, they, they want to start with talking to powers. So they want to, they want to speak truth to power. And yeah. I, I believe in that. I don't want to diminish attempts at that. But what I do sense is that a lot of people want to do that without first telling the truth to themselves. And so what their, what their song ends up doing is it feels a little bit disconnected. I would say that one of my greatest values in my hierarchy of values is connectedness. So mm. my wife and I, we, we try to live truthfully as best as we can, and we try to connect we try to embody the truth that we say we believe. Mm, and, wow. And so, so because, because isn't that, wouldn't that be one of the critiques of modern Christian music is that it, it feels hollow or it feels, it feels like there's something lacking. I, you can't quite put your finger on it, but. Yeah, or Christian art generally, not just yeah, music. Yeah. And, and it, it, it seems like an old critique and we don't need to spend much time on it, but because, because I, I get a lot of questions about, well, first of all, what's so interesting to me is that I stand out. That's weird to me. <laughs> it, it's weird to me that what I do would be, you know, like, oh, there's a guy who's singing about God and life and sex and death and in a way that I've never heard come out of somebody who's obviously, you know, in the church. And that's a problem. I mean, if we yeah, were going to identify any problem, like that would be a problem that I'm an outlier, you know? Um, 
But anyways, why is that barrier there? I mean, if you, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I really don't know. I think there are, there are, there are some guys out there that are attempting to break through that thing. And, and maybe, you know, maybe that thing is never solved. Maybe it's not a question for solving. And maybe it's one of those dynamics that the Lord has embedded into the planet so that guys like me could thrive in what we do. I don't know. Mm. Um, but you work, you work pretty hard at your craft too. I think, I think that's another thing I'd love to maybe have you share a little bit about, because I think maybe for a lot of people that are trying to create things or open to being creative people, like they have that value of going, all right, I actually have this desire to create things in the world. Yeah. And, but they, they think that it comes at only in the form of epiphanies Right. That hits you. And I think one of the things I find most interesting about you, Andy, is just even like, you know, knowing how you work at a song. Yeah. And how enlightening that can be for other people to think about how you, how you are called as a sub creator, right? As an image bearer. Yeah. To, to work in the world, to, to yeah. bear witness. And maybe some of the things that happen are like that we go, this, is, this isn't really good art coming from Christians. might just be because it's lazy. That's right. That's right. That's a, that is a true statement. Okay, so I, I, I write often, I think a lot, and I write outside of my songwriting discipline. And all of that, it goes into informing my songs. So I think about guys like you, um, our friend, uh, Dr. Chris Green, uh, you know, some of our, our other friends like Ken Tanner. These guys are all, you know, they're, they're fathers in our faith. And those guys, I if they're working out an idea, they're not being, um, they're not being lazy about it. Those guys Mm. are working things out. So before they have a problem solved, they're sitting down at their desk and they're reading and they're writing and then they're writing and editing what they're writing and they're responding to what they're writing before their work sees the light of day. And I'm not an academic, but I take what I do seriously. And I, this is funny, Paul, I actually think about guys like you. And I actually Mm. think about guys like Chris Green. And, uh, you know, I I don't want my music to to be academic. I want people to be able to... You're not trying to pass a litmus test. No, no. I just want... I want the gravitas to be embedded and not come across as, oh, this guy's trying to write a deep song. Yeah, you, know, you can always yeah, yep, yep. file away, you know, somebody that's trying to be deep who just, I don't know, maybe they just haven't had their ass kicked enough or something <laughs> like that. But it's just like there's this thing where, well, that's hard. Not, I'll be honest, man. That's hard to wrestle with in in that space because you are 
in any creative space, in any realm of 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 the aesthetic of the domain domain of the aesthetic, there is there's the temptation to and this is the temptation of Romans one, right? It's to settle for the created thing above the creator, including myself as a yeah. in the domain of created things, and yeah. to draw attention to to that. And it can um, this is the this is the real pitfall of all sin and brokenness in the world is the perversion of the good, and it's the it's the misapplication of the good, mm. um, you know that the good gift that God has given. And it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard in, in this sort of space. And I'm not an academic either. Um, I, I'm not in the space of wanting to share things with people that you think will open their eyes up to the world and will help them experience reality as I believe it actually is. And I could be wrong on stuff. I was wrong 10 years ago about things. 10 years from now, I might, I'm going to find out things I'm wrong about now. It's really hard in that space. The the quickest temptation is to go and be like, Hey, let's, let's make the goal here to be, let's have something mind blowing versus just something that's good, true or beautiful. And I know, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not really in that space anymore but I, I remember making records years ago and feeling like this the thing I want to have happen here is I want to have acceptance in this this yeah. sort of sphere right this social group yeah. of songwriters I want to write a song that makes an Andy Squires or a John Mark McMillan or someone yeah. like that go dude you're a good songwriter because yeah. that feels good and it feels affirming but it, it really yeah. is it's an enemy to the unveiling, isn't it? It is. And and I would say that back to your other question about aesthetic, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking, oh yeah, the other thing that I think a lot about is it, in the day and age that we live in, especially of what we witness in evangelical circles, is that there's been such a propagation of spectacle that we can no longer, it, it's, well, our icons within the modern American church are all on a stage with good lighting and loud, loud sound systems. So, so our souls have been formed by spectacle, mm. rated meaning for spectacle. And I think that, that within me, I've, I've always resisted that. Even when I couldn't articulate it, I, I always had an inner sense that that was somehow not something to be fully believed in, you know? And so, so the idea or the theology of the seed is hopefully ringing through my work. That's, that's what I really hope because, um, because the seed wins in the long run, man. I mean, that's mm. that's just the way this 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 goes. The seed ultimately wins. It might not win in my lifetime, but that's where spectacles come and go, empires come and go. But the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's, yes, it's, it's so yeah. small. It's hard to lay hold of. But that's the that is the aesthetic that I want to um, propagate. And it's also my labor. It's also the thing that I'm giving my life to. That's how I want my life to look. Mm. So I think that you just named exactly the thing about when I hear a 
a song that you share with me that you've written, I go, this is why it's so refreshing. You you catch somehow because I, it's clear people who can hear this, even those that have never heard a song from you before and just like listen to this podcast. It's clear as you're sharing that you have this picture of a God who, I mean, we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I don't know if we'll include it in the recording or not, but just the story, I just think about the end of Mark's gospel, right? Like the actual original ending without getting into that, you know, the the textual issues with the end of Mark's gospel post verse eight, right? We like, we actually know now almost unanimously across all scholarship that the end of Mark's gospel, the last, I think, verses nine through 16 were, that weren't there in earlier manuscripts, right? And the way that Mark's gospel probably originally ended in the first century was ending when this scene, you know, the women running away from the tomb, frightened and afraid. Yes. Like, yes. And I see this like telling of God's story that makes Easter like, well, when that happened, everybody was proved wrong who was wrong right there in that moment. And the story ended with this happy ending. And when I compare that to the biblical narrative, I go, that doesn't ring true. You know, no. these like the women ran away afraid. They didn't know the two fools on the road yeah. to Emmaus didn't see Jesus. It wasn't like... That moment, like the moment of Easter when the tomb was rolled away, it wasn't like in China that day, the person that was dying of some disease that we have a cure for now suddenly got better. That's right. We still are like the resurrection. And this is why this is a clash of pictures of God. And yeah. it's really a battle of the gods that we see in the art. This is why like idolatry was such a big deal, right? It's mm. not like people are just worshiping a statue. It's mm. that, and the ancients got this better than we like to admit, is mm. that that statue is a portal. It's a doorway to the realm of spirit, the realm of those values and the picture of God. And that's why like idolatry was such a huge issue for the people of God, all, going all the way back to Israel. It was like, don't make any graven images because I'm yeah. beyond all of that, right? Yeah. There was a real danger in having a wrong aesthetic representation. And so mm. when I hear your songs, Andy, I catch that sort of, you know, the the left-handed power of God. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And I know that's a term you're familiar with and maybe from a, a theologian that's influenced you. Um, I don't know if you want to share at all about, you know, about those sorts of influences in your life that's helped you kind of catch this, catch this facet of God that maybe we miss in our American culture. Well, let me just say, let me start out this part of this conversation with this. Uh, I want to tell this story. So you've mentioned my tune before you got, it was the first single off this forthcoming record. It's, it's an interesting song for those that haven't heard it yet, because a lot of, a lot of the song is me taking actual scripture references, but turning them on their head and, and, and really kind of taking a look at them from a different perspective. And I was playing this song live one time and, there was a brother who came up afterwards and it was like he was befuddled. He was shaken to his core. He was downright offended at me that I would, in his mind, I was singing heresy. 
in his mind. I mean, the irony of it was that that song for me is my attempt to stay in orthodoxy. It's my. So what are some of the lines that maybe offended him the most for people that aren't familiar with the song? In the chorus, it goes, Before you, God, uh, before you, God, I am opening my heart. I know you did not expect it. I'm a thief in the night. <laughs> before you, God, I will leave the 99 to find you in the darkness. I will not leave you behind. And it was just, I, I mean, I just wrote that because I was reading the parables one day and I just saw the Christ figure, not as the good shepherd. I mean, a primary interpretation of that parable is that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is the one going out looking for the sheep. But those are words on a page that are leading us to an unveiling of more of what God is. And in that moment, I saw the Christ figure as the lamb lost out in the darkness and that I was the one going out and getting him. And back to the first part of our conversation where it's like, I have this ongoing story. God's story is ongoing. I have an ongoing story with him. And for for me, I was recently just surrounded by friends who had been so consumed with the deconstruction of their faith to the point that they just decided to leave faith altogether. And this was my declaration of love. Like, Jesus, I I mean, no judgment. I, I have no judgment against those that have concluded this this other way. But but man, come hell or high water, at least at, up until this point, I am going after you because where else can I go? Yeah. So that was my attempt at, at a love song to God. And, but, but also, I, I like to be surprised. I want to use language and imagery that people don't already know and take for granted, you know? Mm. So I was just talking with this guy and he was so extremely offended by it and and i very quickly knew that there was no point there was no argument to be had it it, that was just going to be fruit but what i realized was when we say the word god we might share the same word that's it yep exactly but the idea behind that can be totally different and we see that expressed in our values right and the values point to and the story we believe points to though we say the same like when we and you talk about jesus and uh, let's say someone in westboro baptist church says the name jesus i don't think we're necessarily talking about the same, you know, ontologically the, the Christ. That's right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I said to this, this good Baptist brother, I said, I said to him, I said, well, said, do you, do you, do you, do you agree? Would you, would you say that there was such a thing as theology? And he said, well, well, yes, I do. And I said, well, 
to my mind, what theology, theology exists because not everything is settled. Some things are settled. Like there are some things that are settled. Like I, I, I'm an Apostles' Creed Christian. I'm confessing that. I can't, I can't prove that those realities are certain. Nevertheless, I confess those realities, mm-hmm. and they are forming me into their image, hopefully. I said, but to this guy, I said, but the reason we have language, the reason why we have the disciplines of philosophy and theology and beyond is because not everything is settled, not everything is known, and this is why we need poets and prophets to help unveil or at least to make us aware that we don't know everything. Mm, that's it. And yeah. I, I think that's one of the 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 biggest idols that got brought down in the last 10 or 15 years or or maybe the deconstruction movement is symptomatic of that idol of certainty or that every single theological question has been answered up until this point. Like we've got it all figured out. Right. Right. And and then some kind of version of that was preached for the last 30 or 40 years. And then you got all these people who their reality is not, is not the reality that they're living through is not matching the theology that they're being given. And then have questions. Those with that are, that are holding the theology go no questions allowed. And then those people with you know, mm-hmm. the rest. yeah. You, I mean, you're talking about, and this is something we. I don't know if you and I have talked about this before or not. You're talking about this, the entire sort of meaning-making endeavor that we do as storied creatures in the world, and we yeah. are trying to make sense of our experiences and find how we fit into a story. And and we've got these categories, right? We've got we've got. We, we try to, as we survey the, our perceptions of reality, we look for things like coherence, right? Yeah. Like, is, is, there a, is there a repeatable, discernible pattern to the structure of reality? And according yeah. to the way I'm viewing it and the lens that I have on and what you're talking about for a lot of people, and we feel this. I think the, one of the things that's beautiful about your music, I, I mean, maybe it's a Charlotte thing, you know, what, what John Mark's songs, I, I don't know if... Um, you know who's um? Uh, what's the guy's actual name that's behind Silicone Boone? Sam Yoder. Sam Yoder. Man, I hear it in his songs too. Yeah. yeah. It's a recognition that I, th- I think maybe one of the things that's happened in the last 30, 40 years, especially in my lifetime, is a presentation of the world has been given to people in church that says it's totally explainable and completely coherent all the time. Let's totally disregard reading Job and Ecclesiastes and having sermons on those because what we want to do is provide you with a sense of comfort that it's all explainable. And what people that go through a genuine process of deconstruction have, and I'm sympathetic to it, right? I'm totally yeah. am. These last few episodes, we've been doing um, reconstruction stories, people that have gone through a process of, of deconstruction for all different reasons and now are going through a positive reconstructive journey in, in, the, in the confines of Christian community. But they have this sense where they brush up against reality and they go, 
it's not totally coherent. Like the story I've been told doesn't doesn't make sense. And any honest person, I think, I don't, I don't know. That sounds judgmental. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> like that. I'm just gonna keep it. Any honest person that hears what you're trying to say in um, before you, God, I hear it as a cry, an acknowledgement, a true lament that God. I, it's not always coherent out there. Yeah. Like the story yeah. that I hear and what I believe right now doesn't make sense, but I'm going after you, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, it's a, to me, like, and I can understand where that brother was coming from that, that heard it yeah. differently, but I hear it as an acknowledgement of yeah. the ceiling of my capacity to have everything figured out. Yeah. It's an acknowledgement that I go through periods and I do, man, it's real. I go through these periods of these dark nights of the soul. Yeah. I go through times where the the spiritual practices I've employed for decades that have yeah. given me a sense of God's nearness and transcendence, it goes radio silent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's an yeah. acknowledgement of that and that that breaking down of the coherent structure leads people to a sense of meaninglessness because once you lose that sense of coherence for so many people, they go, okay, so the story I believed might be incoherent. And that story also told me a meaning for life. And if I can't trust the coherence, I can't see the meaning. And then the third thing, the thing that really kills people, I think, is then the third layer of that is their sense of significance. Mm. So once I lose the coherence of the story, I lose the meaning, which is like the overarching goal of all of this. Yeah. I lose sight of me as a person going, where do I play any role? Does it matter? Like Camus, I'm such a huge fan of Albert Camus. And Camus said, like a slight paraphrase is really, the only, the most important philosophical question is whether or not somebody should commit suicide. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a weird compliment, but I think of that when I hear your music. No, I, I receive it. I love it. That's I receive it. <laughs> Good word, brother. <laughs> Paul, I, and I want to go back to one little point as you know, you, you talk, you're talking about Job and Lamentations, but I mean, for, I circle back around to to how you just laid out the end of, of Mark. I mean, I think that I think that most folks have a lack of precision in their reading of the gospels, even. That's true. So it's not even an issue of not making room for the Old Testament poetry books. I think that's I think that's the thing that I got from Capen, Robert Capen, mm. which was he helped me to actually read what the text was saying. I realized that so much of my misunderstanding of God came through a fairly mis... Well, I just... I had a hermeneutic that was yes. very... I don't know how I would It might even, be Americanized, not, right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just that the American values become the default values. Uh, you, you think that your cultural understanding of the world, and this is where it gets messy because we've got this sort of civic religion in American culture, especially in the South, but here in Minnesota, in the Midwest, where we've got a church on every corner too. It's the same thing. We think God and country... 
go together. Yeah. And there, there's beautiful things that God is doing in American culture, and we can yeah. celebrate those values. And yet, simultaneously, we got to be able to see that some of those values are actually they're actually warping the mm. biblical story, even though we think it's part of the biblical story, right? right? And that sort of the sort of like Rocky Four theology, you know, which is like the way we win is the, it's going to be, you know, uh, we're going to use resiliency, which is good. I think that's an important value. And then we're going to beat the bad guys and then everybody's going to cheer for us yeah. at the end. And it's like, no, that might not work. Cause like, you know, what, what happens when Nebuchadnezzar comes to town and sacks your city? Are you, mm. are you still the people of God then? Right, and that's like where the wisdom literature comes from, or what happens when your Messiah is crucified and yeah. he rises from the grave, but still most people still think the body was just stolen. Totally, yeah. You know, and you're still holding out that you followed this right way in the world in hopes that God's ultimate eschatological ends are going to come about, and you got to be a person of hope to mm. get that. But it's not this like it's not trite hope. It's not the hope that, you know, Rocky's just going to beat Ivan Drago, right? And now everybody's going to love America. That's maybe a really absurd example. But you come face to face with those readings and maybe somebody like a, like a, I don't know if I ever say his name right, Capon or Capon, yeah. helps you see that. Capon yeah. helps you see mm -hmm. the things that you go, Might maybe I had a cultural bias, to read this story a particular way. Well, I think I think Capen helped me with the 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 idea that that God is not a superhero, that he's not Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he traces he traces the Jesus narrative to through through his miraculous doings but he Capen would say that the miracles were not a sign of what God was doing. They were a sign that God was doing something. Mm. But that, That's but, a big difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference because in the world that I grew up on, grew up in, the miracles were everything. That's like you were, you weren't being a faithful follower of God if you weren't contending for miracles in your life. Like that was our, that was our bread and butter was the presence of God descending and then miracles breaking out. And, you know, if I get cancer, I'm praying for a miracle. I'm never going to yeah, be that, yeah, totally. that that says that can't happen, right? But somewhere along the line, I just realized that God wasn't always answering that prayer. And what does that mean? You know, because what I had been told was it was either a lack of faith on my part or, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that so many young people deconstructed because the nonsense that we, <laughs> told, the absolute nonsense that we were, we were, <clears throat> it's like James Torrance helped me so much with this idea that, that everything that we have with regards to faith, none of it starts, begins with us. None of it. Any faith that I have is borrowed faith, man. Like it's, mm. it's, it's Jesus's faith, but 
the version of that that I grew up with was it was all about mustering faith up for miracles so that something good could happen. You the know, minimum faith threshold you got to hit, right? It's yeah. an invisible line. The lines, all, the goalposts always move. You don't know. You live with a sense yeah. of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. You're all trying to appease God. You're always trying to stand on your head in a certain way so that the rain, the skies will open up and the rain will fall and and. I just, I just, I witnessed the fruit of that thinking in too many lives. What it, what it produced in people was a deep, a deep rooted anxiety and that, mm. and that I saw in myself as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I needed to be healed of it and I eventually was, and I'm so grateful for it, you know? Um, Who've been some people that have helped you? maybe dethrone some idols that you had and change and reshape your values, whether they're people actually in your life or, or maybe artists, poets, writers, some theologians, yeah. who, who have been the ones that have most shaped your spirit, that invisible domain of your values? You know, it, this is going to sound very like pop theology, but I got to give this guy credit. Brennan Manning was like the doorway for me in the early 2000s. Totally. Yeah, there's no shame in that, man. We yeah. don't have to sound like uber intellectuals. Brennan oh, Manning. Like Re Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel was the beginning for me that there were other ways of thinking about God. That was that was like my introduction to the God of grace. Mm. It really changed my life and opened me up to the the idea of, of the Father's love and did you listen? Did you listen to a lot of Rich Mullins too? And that's you know they're kind of in the same circles. Yeah, you know I I did like Rich, but I was probably too young to really appreciate yeah. him. Yeah, he I didn't understand Rich till I was in my mid to late thirties. Yeah. You know, truth be told, like there 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 was some stuff of Rich's that I just didn't get at all, but only because I was too dumb. That's really the bottom. <laughs> you know, um, but. But so, so Brandon opened the door for me. And then I don't know, man, it's, it's just, this been this long convoluted process of reading all kinds of people. Um, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about Dostoevsky. He's, he's mm. like, uh, he's, it's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about him now. Cause he, it seems kind of a fad, but the, the middle, the middle part of, of Dostoevsky, like the grand inquisitor and, Father Zosima, those chapters. Well, Father Zosima, he he opened me up to the idea of um, the unrelenting love of God. Like like Dostoevsky's take on the love of God is so profound that it should be everybody's devotional in my in my mind for the rest of their lives. But what makes it so extraordinary is that Dostoevsky's um, atheist atheism chapters in the book are equally profound. Like, yes, they are. Yeah. Oh, good. They're it's like the real atheism, not not the new pop, yeah. new atheist stuff. Yeah. So it's that good Nietzsche quality <laughs> atheist. Yeah, like scare you to death kind of yeah. stuff. Scare you to death because it's so believable. Like, mm -hmm. like he's so persuasive and I, 
And, and so, I mean, that might sound funny that, that that would help me with my current view of the Lord. But I think what happened was probably growing up, I was afraid to read the atheist writers. I was afraid to read Kafka and Camus. Mm. And, you know, those were like out of bounds for me, you know, like just didn't do it. But but once I began to engage my mind in uh, the world of literature, I don't know, man, something just opened up for me and I began to see the Lord. I began to see the grace of God in all of these other writers. And it just, I don't know, it just opened my heart up, you know? So, so obviously Dostoevsky, I mentioned to James Torrance, he's a reformed theologian from Scotland and yeah. his book, um, it's, I have it right here. It's called worship community and the triune God of grace. Mm. That really helped me reform my, my thoughts on worship, you know, like growing up as a Pentecostal, we were always singing to get God to come down and. Mm, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was relieved of all of that at some point in my life. Yeah, let, I want to talk. Can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah. that's one of the things that we can certainly we can frame aesthetics. We can frame the arts as an attempt to kind of capture and bring heaven down, right? To bring that those invisible values to bear witness in the world. We we think of them as an unveiling here they also serve as doorways of i think of jacob's ladder as the best best um symbol of this yeah. where jacob when he fell asleep the angels the messengers the malachs right the messengers were were descending and ascending right and so yeah. it's not even just like <clears throat> we need to bring something down but there's also a window and a doorway like when you read Dostoevsky, I love that you're bringing up, I mean, yeah, people might you could put Brennan Manning in the category of theologian. Most people wouldn't put Dostoevsky in the category of a theologian. We think about, well, what should, what should a Christian read to have a better view of who God might be? You know, you might just go straight to like N.T. Wright or Torrance, you know, these, these, yeah. these theologians. But, but that's the beautiful thing about beauty itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that beauty is this doorway. It yeah. leads us. Truth and goodness and beauty lead us on this path that we don't want to settle for the created thing. We keep going because we see the source. So the beauty of Dostoevsky's writing. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, you're into poetry too, way more so than me. I've tried to get into it. Um, I've just, I have to confess, like I haven't, I don't consume poetry in the same way you do. What, yeah. what does poetry do for you? Well, it poetry gives me permission. I I get my brain locks down sometimes and I and I I start Poetry gives me permission to put words in different orders to create different meanings. And I I I read poetry because it helps me access kind of the lo- the non-linear parts of my brain that I'm usually stuck in. You know, so so there's a guy named Christian Wyman who has been really a gift to me over the last five or six years. He wrote a really 
when I say famous, I mean relatively speaking. But in the in the world of poetry, he wrote a book called My My Bright Abyss, and it it is such a fantastic treatment of faith and doubt. He his story is that he had he he's he's a Jesus follower. I, I would say he's a professed Christian, um, but he he had a bout with cancer that really exposed uh, a lot of anxiety that was working in his life already. And he wrote this book called My, My Bride Abyss, and it explores the absence of God as the presence of God. And I would say mm. that helped me a whole lot because I used to be so divided in my world or in my mind where I was always thinking about God in terms of golden glory clouds, like that <laughs> sign of his presence yeah. and in constant consternation at the lack of his presence in my life. And so when I read Christian Wyman, I realized that, and I don't know why I didn't connect these dots sooner. I'm, I'm probably a really slow learner, but the, <clears throat> the, the Superman God that I used to worship as a young person always would mostly failed to show up in my life. But the, the non-present, hidden, crushed, invisible, suffering Messiah seemed to always be there with me. Mm. <laughs> it was almost like it was his invisibility that I could see mostly, which proved his presence. Mm. The most, and 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 Wyman definitely helped me grasp that idea. And that's got to be caught instead of taught. That's not just a propositional. And there's these different layers in which we know things. Yeah. And and sometimes as Christians uh, in our circles, we're really limited on what we think is knowing God to acceptance of propositions. Yes. And that's something poetry I feel like does is it invites us into and into a mode of participation mm -hmm. and you can't i mean i totally just understood what you said but i bet a lot of people listening go you're saying that god's absence the feeling of his absence and his invisibility was the thing that made you feel he was near the paradox of that is going to sound absurd yeah that's what god is god is <laughs> whole that's his whole mode of being it's his whole, that's his labor. I mean, God has this absurd aesthetic. Like he mm. has, a, he has an absurd value system. He has <laughs> aesthetic and he has an absurd labor. Like his labor is directly opposed to the spectacle and the wisdom of the world. And that's why we miss it all of the time. And we still miss it. I mean, I can't believe I've been reading the Bible for 40 years now, and I feel like I'm just getting to the beginning of understanding that the, the, 
this Messiah who came and showed us the exact way that God is by dying on a cross, the mystery of that is still lost on me. I'm still mm-hmm. figuring that out. And I, and I hardly trust anybody who says that they understand it. Mm. It's almost like, um, I, I get this, I have this gut feeling that God has set this thing up to where we barely understand that so that we will pursue the unveiling of it, mm. you know? And that's yeah, why, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. why I write songs. That's why I, that's why I write poetry. That's why I even tweet, man. Cause I'm <laughs> trying to lay hold of this God who says he's everywhere with me. But sometimes I just have a hard time feeling and knowing that. Mm. That's where reading atheists I actually find to be helpful. Yes. They actually highlight the absurdity of the Superman Jesus. Yes. And they tear that idol down. Like I, it's weird. I'd say this a lot and people go, that's a really weird thing to say. I love reading Nietzsche. Yeah. Yeah. Nietzsche was a quality of an atheist that I, I, (laughs) I have a strange um, admiring of because I think he really, he understood, he rejected the values of the Christian story. Yeah. He was also brutally honest about what that would look like in the world to reject that. And I, 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 I see it as so immensely valuable. Even like, even some of these new atheist guys, you, you hear Richard Dawkins and how Richard Dawkins just has this, you know, this sense of which I could, I could never believe in a God that's like this, 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 and this. And I go, yeah, amen. You know, yeah. me, me neither. <laughs> me neither. And I actually find those critiques to be helpful because they maybe make me come face to face with some of my, my idolatrous pictures yeah. of who, of who God might actually be. And even when you just talk about, that's a funny thing to say. God's aesthetic is absurd. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. think about, I didn't, I couldn't grasp this as a kid. Cause I kind of felt like every, every, everything that was like art had to have like a Bible verse on it. Right. Right. I I laugh with my parents about this. You know, I brought home like a tooth and nail band record. You know, that's good youth group music, right? It was Plank Eye. Some of you guys maybe remember Plank Eye. And I was listening to it in my room because I couldn't really listen to secular music. And my parents heard it and they'll laugh if they listen to this. They're not going to be offended by it. And they said, hey, this this can't be Christian music. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. mom, it is. It's from a Christian record label. They're like, okay, let's go through the lyrics. Back in when CD books had you know, you'd open it up and you'd have your lyrics in there. And they went through it and they go, yeah, we don't see Jesus in here anywhere. Like there's no mention of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. And I laugh about that because that ends up kind of being what Christians think the aesthetic should be. I joke sometimes that like if, if we had our way, we would, we would, we would change the Rocky mountains to be in the shape of a Bible verse or something, you know, as if that would bear more witness to the glory <laughs> and majesty of God than this thing that that took, and I know this might not be where some people's headspace is at with s- science and creation, and that's okay, but something that took millions of years to form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, 
Tree of Life, that Terrence Malick film, some people find it so weird to have smack dab in the middle of that, this like long epoch of creation being unfolded before our eyes. And I just see the beauty of that. Yeah. How it's tied into the story. But it is absurd to yeah. think about the way that God chooses to reveal himself aesthetically. I just, I can't wrap my mind around. Like, I, I need a God that helps me make sense of why there's black holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that's a really destructive, <laughs> weird thing to have in mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we can land the plane by by talking a little bit about this, Andy, to, um, yeah, to, to bring this conversation to some, tie, tie up some of the ends. So thinking about all this stuff, man, you, why do you like going fishing and digging ditches in your yard? Mm. You know, these acts of labor, right? Which is that sort of third domain in Dwight Hopkins' framework. It's what we do with the creation we receive, how we, we steward creation and the human relationships that exist, how we, how we view that and we exchange those gifts together. Like, why do you like getting out and fishing so much? I, I, I'll fish from time to time in the summertime, but you're serious about it, man. Why mm. is that? Is that just like, for some people that might look at that as a less spiritual act than, than you as a pastor preaching, but mm-hmm. is, it, is it experienced to you as something spiritually significant? You know, I've never really thought about that before. I... When, when my kids were young, I was so busy raising my kids and, but I'm not there anymore. I think, I think that part of it is more of a season of life thing where I, I have, I have actual time that I can do it. And I, and I, my wife bought me a fishing pole four years ago and I didn't see it coming, but it turned into just uh, just almost an obsession. Um, but I just, I just enjoy it so much. I, I love being in nature. I love the adrenaline rush of, of hooking a massive bass. And I love, I love the days when I don't catch anything because it makes the days that I do catch something that much better. Uh, man, I don't know. It's just been such a gift to me. I, I don't know how that ties into my, yeah. aspect, <laughs> but I, I just love it. I'm just so. curious when I, I see you there or a, a picture on your Instagram of you over your head in the ditch in your yard. Yeah. You know, I, I just wonder whether or not it's important for you to have a sense of like a real embodied connection with the world when you're someone that spends a lot of time in this realm of ideas. If you just, if it's important that people find outlets in a real embodied way, like for me, I, I have to exercise regularly. Yeah. This is one of the one of the things that's been really hard about yeah. quarantine. I miss, I miss playing basketball yeah. with, with people, right? Uh, I yeah. miss like just enjoying there's, I, you know, I, I'm not out there like handing out tracks, chick mm. tracks to people as I play, you know, I don't at, you know, at game point say, Hey, you know, let's pause right now. And I got a five minute devotional for yeah. you. It seems pretty secular, but for me, it's just so valuable. Cause I go, I, I spend a lot of time in this world of, of ideas and there's a real, physical world around me that's been given as a gift and I need to find some way of 
we got a little pond in our backyard right now and we just get the kayak out. It's not a big, you know, it's not a lake or anything, but I need that, man. I need that. And I, I just wonder if that's the same, you get that same sort of sense that you, you really have to have some sort of digging in the dirt, man. I just love, I love mowing my lawn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, I mean, there's something to, there's, there is some kind of connection between how well your mind works as it is connected to physical exertion in your body. And I've definitely found that to be true. Like some of my best ideas come when I'm doing something that is really mindless work, you know, like some type of hard labor. And, and, you know, I, I'm not a person, I, I really am speaking from a, a point of privilege because I don't make my living like laying yeah, exactly or digging ditches. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, speak too expertly on this, but I do, my, my wife and I are, have been heavily influenced by Wendell Berry over the years. And he talks about people being connected to their land and, and making your land ecologically, you know, work well with, with your homestead. And, and we're not, we're not homesteaders by any stretch of the imagination, but we're definitely pointing ourselves toward, uh, like a gentler relationship with the land Mm. and, and hoping that that relationship finds its way into our our printed word work or our musical work or, or our theological work or in, in our, in our practices as well. So, you know, I, yeah, I don't know if that answers Mm. the question. No, it does. It does. It does. Well, by the time this comes out, Andy, I I believe you'll have the the second single off the new record out. You bring the morning. I think I first heard you play that in a living room years mm-hmm. ago. And then, man, I don't know. Yeah, there is. I know you just tried to explain where these things come from for you, but it's still a mystery to me where you, how you <laughs> grab this thing out and the unveiling that happens. Yeah. What, um, where, where can people listen to that song? What's the best way? Like, what's honestly, like, what's the preferred format for somebody? an independent artist right now quarantine makes it impossible to go out and tour how yeah. how can people like actually support you well all my songs are going to end up on spotify eventually but right now i'm putting all of my music on bandcamp first because bandcamp lets you tip or you know buy the song for a buck or whatever and so you know that's a great way to find me you know and my name is spelled funny so you'll have to look at this podcast title, you know, so you can spell it right. But if you just go on to bandcamp.com, you can, you know, look up all the songs there. And then of course, Spotify and Apple music, all my stuff's going to be there as well. So. And you offer, you know, help for people that are going through a songwriting process too, right? I've seen you got a new website out. I have a link to um, that in the description of this podcast for those that are interested, whether you are already familiar with Andy's, music and the work that he does and you just you want to check out the new website or whether you've never never listened to anything that he's created and you're you're intrigued by um by a guy that finds god's nearness in the sense of his absence (laughs) and uh we'll make sure we link that stuff there but you you also you also help 
people that are aspiring to write better songs um, is there are ways people can get connected with you to do yeah. that, right? Yeah, there, this is a new thing for me, and it's been very, uh, it's been been pretty. I've gotten uh, a lot of response for it. Uh, so there, there seems to be kind of this new um, upswelling of of artists that are are attempting uh, to enter into masterful storytelling in their songwriting. And, and that's, that's a great encouragement to me. So what I've been doing is I've just been Skyping with people with on, you know, zoom calls with people, just kind of editing their music or editing their songs, just having a conversation with them about their songs and just more than anything, just pointing people in, in a good direction, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we find ourselves writing alone in our closet for for years and we don't get ever get any feedback. And so that's that's what I'm doing for folks right now. So yeah, yeah. anybody that connects with me on that, there's a there's a button right in the front page of on my website that says talk to Andy and it'll you click that button and it'll lead you the right way to go. So that's awesome. I encourage everybody that's doing songwriting, whether you do that in the context of a church congregation and you're writing hymns and spiritual songs for your church, or whether you feel like your audience that you're called to share things with is going to take place eventually at some point in a bar or in a venue somewhere. Um, I think Andy's the guy to talk to you to help you grab your values that you want to communicate and and bring them into an aesthetic that's really all your own. So and Andy, this was a blast to do. I'm glad to hear you and your wife and your kids are, are doing well in the in the middle of this. Thanks for taking the time, man. Enjoyed the conversation together. It's always a pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andy. And make sure you go and check out his website, andysquires.com. You can go listen to his music on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to music at and stream music. Or you could go over and support him directly on Bandcamp. This episode and all episodes of the Deep Talks podcast are brought to you by the Deep Talks Patreon community. It's people like Mark F., Luke H., Tim K., Paul R., generous contributors over at Patreon who are supporting this project and are making it happen. If you wanted to help support this podcast, there's a few ways you can get involved. First of all is to become a member of the Deep Talks Patreon community. You can jump into that for as little as two bucks a month and get access bonus episodes and additional content that's put out over there or maybe you just really enjoyed today's episode and you felt like hey man that really added a lot of value to my life and i would like to support even just give a donation for this podcast you can do that you can just give a donation for this podcast there's a link to my cash app in the description and you could always just say hey you know what i really enjoyed this and here's something to support the work that you're doing and i would gladly and with a happy heart <laughs> receive that. Finally, one of the way you could support is just by leaving a review and subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Even if that's not the place you primarily go to get your podcasts, it helps to leave reviews because that's one of the primary ways that the algorithms do their magic and other people can discover this podcast based on their interests. So if you felt like doing that, that would be great too. 
And finally, as always, I love hearing from you after you listen to an episode. I love hearing from all of you, whether it's something that really an idea that really captured your imagination, or maybe there was something new about God or the world that you hadn't seen before, or maybe you even just have a disagreement with an idea that was brought up in this episode or a past episode. It's good to talk about those things too. So feel free to reach out to me. You can connect with me on Twitter, or if you become a member of the Deep Talks Patreon community, I always respond to every message I receive over there as well if you want to have dialogue about some of the ideas that we're exploring in this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. Make sure you go out and listen. You set up a server farm where you could like stream Andy's music millions of times a day. I'm sure that would help. Or you could just go over and buy one of his singles, whatever it might be. At any rate, thanks for listening today. And until next time, we'll talk again soon.